0: There was once uh, a reporter who went to uh, Cape Canaveral, I think it, oh, I don't know whether it's called Cape Kennedy now or whether it was called Cape Kennedy then, but the place where the spaceships take off from in the United States, uh, NASA's headquarters as it were. And a reporter many years ago uh, went to Cape Kennedy or Cape Canaveral, whatever it was called back then, and it was just before the first moon landing, and as the reporter was walking through the headquarters, he came across a man who was sweeping, and the reporter asked him, what is it that you do here? What is your job? And he said, I'm putting man on the moon. I'm putting man on the moon. And what he meant was that his small task as a janitor, as a cleaner at the space center, was all part of the greater mission to put man onto the moon. You might look at that role and think it was a small role. You might say it was an insignificant role. Nevertheless, that handyman understood that it was an important role nonetheless. It was all part of the bigger mission. He had a role to play. And that story uh, is helpful to us as well. uh, Because the Bible teaches that we too, uh, if we're a believer here this evening, we are also part of a mission Uh, Not a mission to put man on the moon, that's already been done. Uh, Our mission is to share Christ in this world by our lives and by our words. That was what Christ said immediately before he went back to his father. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Our mission is to both be and make disciples of all nations. And Paul, in this letter, as we've looked at in past weeks, uh, realises that he's approaching the end of his earthly life. Uh, His personal uh, contribution to the mission is drawing to an end. Soon he will be with Christ in heaven. But he is, as it were, passing on the baton to Titus and saying, the mission is not completed, continue it, continue it in Crete. And as it were, as we read the letter today, the baton is passed on to us as well. Paul says to us too, as an appointed apostle of Jesus Christ, continue the mission, be disciples and make disciples of all nation. Uh, But when he says that, uh, we need to make clear that that does not mean that all of us have to be exactly like the Apostle Paul. Uh, The Apostle Paul obviously traveled to many nations. He preached the gospel in places where it had never been heard before. Uh, He went through all sorts of experiences and sufferings for the sake of the gospel. And some of us will be called to that But not all of us. Nevertheless, all of us, like that janitor in the space center, we all have our part to play in the mission. And in these opening verses of Titus chapter 2, Paul teaches Titus what he should be teaching those in his church. And Paul doesn't leave out any group of people. Uh, He tells Titus what to teach the old men and the young men, the old women, and the young women. And you all fit somewhere into one of those categories. And Paul teaches Titus what he should be teaching these various people in order that they may play their part in the mission. He doesn't say to them that they must go to the ends of the earth themselves personally. But he does say that all of them must be faithful in the part which God has given to them. Whether they be an old man or a young man, an old woman or a young woman, they all have a role, a part to play in the bigger picture. So that's what we're going to look at this evening, hopefully briefly, uh, to hopefully give each of us a, a clearer idea of what our role is in the bigger mission, the mission that Christ has given to us if we are a believer. In him, And if I was to do it in a little sentence uh, to, to sum up what Paul teaches in uh, these few, just eight verses, uh, I would say that Paul teaches Titus and to the church that he has in Crete and to all churches since then. He teaches that men are to be trained to be leaders in the home and in the church. Uh, Men are to be equipped and trained to be leaders in the home and in the church. And he says of women that women are to be trained and taught to be homemakers, both in the home and in the church. That is a broad, brushstroke summary of what Paul teaches. Men are to be trained to be leaders, women are trained to be homemakers. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to that. Uh, obviously, single parents exist. Um, and although that is not an ideal situation in God's plan, it nevertheless happens occasionally even you have churches where there are no men Uh, you may know the story of the five missionary martyrs who went out to Ecuador and they went to share the gospel and they were martyred but in the course of time their wives were able to go into the tribe and um, one lady in particular who was the sister of one of the martyred men Uh, had a large role in planting and guiding the church in uh, the Wayadani tribe out there in Ecuador. Uh, Again, it's not the ideal situation, but nevertheless, it happens. But that doesn't change the broad principle that Paul teaches here, that men, Christian men, are to be prepared to be leaders in their homes and in the church, and women are to be homemakers in their own homes, and in the church. That's all Paul talks about in this chapter. He doesn't talk about the wider society. Uh, He doesn't talk so much in this particular passage we're looking at about the workplace or the government of countries, but he's talking about the church and the family, what God's ideal is there. Now, I don't know what you think, when I give that broad summary there, because uh, it's not a very popular teaching today. To say, to, to even imply that there are different roles for men and women is incredibly unpopular. Uh, to say, to even suggest that God desires women to be homemakers, to many seems very Patronizing. It seems demeaning. It seems to degrade women. But just ponder a moment. Why do you think that is so? Why does our society think that homemaking is of less significance than leading? Why should that be the case? Why is it our society puts leaders on pedestals, but housewives are despised? And women are told that if you want to be successful, you've got to not be in the home, you've got to be a CEO of a company, or you've got to fight it out with the men. Why are we taught that? It's not what the Bible Teaches the the Bible has a much higher view of the home than our society does, and it's tragic that we live in a society which undermines and degrades femininity to such an extent. I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, but even the most strident and Uh, outspoken feminists out there, do you realise what they talk about so often? Uh, They want to make women like men. And all the things that are associated with femininity are pushed down and despised and degraded. And they seem intent on making women more masculine. And any women who are feminine are despised and rejected. But the Bible says femininity is good. Masculinity is also good in its place. And it should not be despised. And if you think, if we think that building a home and nurturing a family is unimportant, And is worthy to be despised, then we are the fools, not Paul, not Christ, not what the Bible teaches. Because do you see how crucial the role of raising a family and building a home is? Uh, You could say that is the very foundation of all society. If things break down in the home, It won't be too long till the society as a whole breaks down. Uh, Mothers are, probably wouldn't be an exaggeration to say, the linchpin of any society. Uh, It's a bit of a cliche nowadays, isn't it? Uh, That behind any great man you'll find a woman. But it's true, isn't it? Because whoever you are, you came from a mother we're all dependent upon our mothers. It doesn't matter who you are. One thing you can say for certain is that you would not be here today without your mother and their nurture and their care, at least in the first nine months of your existence, no matter what they were like afterwards. And yet, isn't it so odd that our society demeans motherhood and building a family and making a home And they despise it as something small and insignificant and as less important than being a leader. And that's a fault of our society, not a fault in the Bible. So let's look at what Paul says. With that in mind, understanding that these two roles which men have, men to be leaders and women to be homemakers, one or other of them isn't better. One of other them isn't to be greatly more greatly appreciated than the other. They're both good. They're both to be esteemed. And let's look to see what Paul says about both. So let's look at the men first. Uh, Paul starts by addressing the older men. He says in verse two, well, I'll read from verse one. He says, But as for you, that's Titus as for you Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine that the older men be sober reverent, temperate sound in faith in love, in patience Uh, Paul says to Titus teach the older men to be sober now that doesn't just mean that they shouldn't be getting drunk although they shouldn't be getting drunk it's wider than that he's saying that Older men need to be clear-minded. They shouldn't be intoxicated by other things, but they should be able to see clearly. Uh, their greater age should give them a greater perspective on life, and so they need to be able to think and see clearly. Uh, he says that they are to be reverent, and that's perhaps not the quite the most precise translation there. The word used means Dignified. Uh, that's what Paul's saying, is that an older man should be dignified in his behaviour and in his conduct, conduct. He says he should be temperate. That means he should be self-controlled. Uh, he shouldn't be up and down in his desires and his feelings and all over the place. He should be, have a discipline and a control of his life. And he says he should be sound in faith, in love, in patience. Over the course of his life, he's learnt from God's words how to live a faithful life in the sight of God. Uh, I hope this isn't a cliche or a too sweeping a generalization, but uh, younger men and younger people in general uh, have a tendency to swing to extremes, don't they? Don't we? <laughs> Um, younger people tend to have less of a grip on their emotions. Uh, we're easily swayed in different directions. and We see this, of course, with children, uh, when children can't control their emotions like an adult can. But it goes into uh, older men and women uh, as well, younger uh, men and women. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, what someone said about a young man who first discovered a hammer. Uh, And uh, for the first time, he could see what a hammer did. And off that point, everything looked like a nail. You know that feeling? (laughs) When he was so excited by the tool and the power he could wield in the hammer that everything looked like a nail. Or perhaps a young doctor who discovers a disease and immediately sees it in everyone. He sees it everywhere because he is so excited by it. And that's kind of a a fault of youth. Uh, They tend to ride the waves of their discoveries and their emotions and their highs are very high and their lows are very low. But older men, older people in general, tend to be more balanced in their emotions. They've lived life longer. They know that the exciting things aren't quite so exciting (laughs) As the young people think they are, and the bad things aren't quite so bad as the younger people seem to find them. And what Paul is teaching here is that the older men are to be like imagine, like a sailor on an old ship, um, and uh, they're standing at the tiller, and you know, the tiller guides the direction of the ship, and that's what uh, a Christian man should be like. Uh, in all weathers, whether it's rain or whether it's sunshine, He should be holding that tiller faithfully, guiding it in the right direction. Whether that's in the family, his own family, his wife and children, or whether that's in the church, the flock that he is among. He should be holding that tiller faithfully and not distracted by the winds and the waves which might be happening around him or the rain that might be coming into his eyes, but simply holding faithfully to that tiller and pointing it towards Christ. And Paul says to the older men, he says to Titus, teach the older older men to be faithful in that task. To be stable, to be solid, to be dignified, to be self-controlled, to be clear-minded. That they may teach the younger men. And let's move on to them now. Uh, Although they're the last people Paul addresses, but we'll look at them second. Uh, Look at verse 6. Paul says, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Did you notice that? Uh, Paul said in verse 6, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. So Paul says to Titus, teach the young men to be the same thing, that you're teaching the old men to be. There's not a fundamental difference between the two. And when you think about it, that makes sense. Because how will an old man become sober-minded unless he was taught as a young man to be so? To the risk of stating the obvious, an old man is just a young man who's got older. So how does an old man become like Paul says he should be. Well, it's by being taught as a young man to be like that. And so Paul says to Titus, teach the young men as well to grow, to get more experience, to also be sober-minded and self-controlled, to also have a eye for what is good and what is evil that they too in their time will be able to hold that tiller on the ship and guide it in the right direction in rain or shine Uh, notice what he says in verse 7 He says, in all things, speaking to Titus, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. The only difference, really, between Paul's instructions to the older men and the younger men is that uh, his instructions to the younger men perhaps, are a little more active. That's probably the one distinction between an old man and a young man. Generally speaking, younger men have more energy. They have more uh, energy to be able to do things, to run about, to travel, to do all these other things. And Paul says to the young men, use that energy to teach faithfully use that energy to be an example of good works to others as you're going around here there and everywhere be an example to others as others before you have been an example to you paul says to them use your energy to guide that ship in the right direction and that's probably why uh, the priests in the old testament retired at 50 did you know that Uh, The priests in the Old Testament, if you read, I think it's in the book of Leviticus, um, they were instructed to step down from the priesthood when they were 50 years old. That's not because they got to 50 and became useless, but presumably because their energy would be starting to diminish and their role should be taken over by younger men. Again, they don't become useless because they can feed into the younger men, teaching the younger men, showing the younger men how they should be. Nevertheless, they can pass their responsibilities on to someone with greater energy and perhaps enthusiasm. But the role remains the same, to be that steady hand on the tiller, to guide their families and to guide their church in the right direction, that the gospel is preached and is shared And their families and their church are built up to become more like Christ. So that's the man's role. Uh, That's the role of all men. It doesn't mean that all men will become pastors. Uh, It doesn't mean that all men will become uh, teachers of God's word. But all Christian men should be leaders in some sense or another. There should be someone that they are leading in the gospel that they are teaching that they are instructing that they are showing christ's way too that is the role of men though that is uh, demonstrated in different ways uh, but let's move on to the women so we see the men holding on to that tiller guiding the ship to the mission which god has given to us but what does it mean to be a woman What is a woman's role in the church? Well, keep in your mind that ship, um, but imagine that it's a steamship. I don't know if they still have steamships nowadays. I imagine they do in some parts of the world. I'm not quite sure. Uh, But you know that steamship, it may well have a rudder which someone has to direct and hold, but deep in the belly of that ship, you have a furnace where coals are being burnt, which are the driving energy which pushes that ship forward. It's not steering the ship, but it's the beating heart, if you like, of the ship. Uh, It's below the decks. It's not guiding, but it nevertheless is essential. And if men are to be the steady hands on the tiller, on the rudder, women are to be, if you like, the nurturing heartbeat of the church or of the family. The women are to pour their love into their families and into their church. And through that, the work of the church flourishes. Now look at verse 3. This is where Paul starts to address the women. Verse 3 says, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Notice, first of all, he says, the older women likewise. Uh, Paul's description for women isn't very much different to his instructions to men. Because good character is the same whether you're a man or a woman. Men shouldn't lie. Women shouldn't lie. Men shouldn't steal. Women shouldn't steal. Men should be loving. Women should be loving. So women likewise, should be reverent in their behavior. But notice what it says, not slanderers. Now, God doesn't give the role of leadership to women. He doesn't give the role of teaching in a church in an authoritative way to women. But remember what we looked at last time, how we saw that lots of false teaching in the church is not spread from a pulpit, It's spread in the conversations that church members have or church attendees have. I'm always inclined to say that's probably where most false teaching is spread, from the careless chatter of people amongst themselves. And I I don't know how far I want to go with this, but uh, it is a scientific fact that women do talk more than men. That has been counted, that is the case. And that is a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. Uh, If women talk about good things, it's a wonderful blessing. If they talk about bad things, it's a horrible curse. Uh, A lot of men would do well to talk more. Uh, Men's fault tends to be that they don't speak up when they should, Women, a lot of the time, sometimes at least, speak too much when they should keep silent. That's a very sweeping generalisation, I know. But Paul says here to the old women that they should not be slanderers. They should not be gossips. In other words, the words they share with one another shouldn't be tearing others down, should not be demeaning other people, but they should be lifting other people up. Their words should be a nourishing, nurturing uh, force in the church, sharing good things to others. Uh, Notice what it said at the end of verse 3. It says they should be teachers of good things. Uh, Women can be teachers too. Uh, What the Bible says is that they mustn't take leadership. That has been given to men. But women, nevertheless, do still teach. They teach by their own lives. And look who they're supposed to teach. It says in verse 4, that they admonish, another word for teach, the young women. Uh, Older women should be teaching the younger women. Older women can teach younger women in ways that men can't. Older women have a unique responsibility in that regard. And it's worth thinking about. Uh, there are some women who would love to stand in a pulpit, uh, would love to be in a position of authority, and yet they never teach the younger women around them. Uh, they want the position of authority, but they don't actually want to feed into those they can feed into without a position of authority, if that makes sense. Do you see? Uh, So often our desire for self-importance, our desire to be seen as impressive, merely shows the fact that we're not really interested in other people at all. Paul says that older women should be teaching the younger women, perhaps not in a spectacular way, perhaps not in a way that everyone else sees and admires, but they should be feeding into the lives of the younger women. So that's how Paul addresses the older women in, verses, in verse 3. But what does he say they should teach the younger women? And this is perhaps where we get to the most politically incorrect verses in this passage. Uh, Verse 4, Paul says that the older women should admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, again, I don't know what you think when you hear that verse, verse 5, in particular. But many people, uh, as they read verse 5, will be moved to anger. They'll hear those words and they'll say, how archaic, Uh, how old-fashioned, that women should be lovers of their husbands and love their children, Uh, that they should be obedient to their own husbands, Surely that is so Middle Ages, so that is so Victorian. Surely we've moved beyond that now. And perhaps people think of uh, things like, I don't know if you're familiar with the story of the Stepford Wives. I don't know if, the, if that resonates with people. But there was a book about these women who were created, they're basically robots created by men to be servants. And these women were the perfect wives, allegedly, because they would do just what their husbands wanted and our society rebels against that idea and rightly so Uh, because the bible doesn't teach that wives exist merely to please their husbands that's not what paul is teaching here because remember he's already been addressing men he's already been addressing husbands and he says that a husband's role is not to please himself His role is to follow Christ. His role is to complete the mission that Christ has given to him. Not to use his wife as a tool to accomplish whatever his own desires are. That is wrong and evil in and of itself. Instead, he is to have his eye on Christ, seeking to accomplish the mission Christ has given to him. And as he seeks that mission, his wife is to show respect to him. So the husband and the wife are both looking in the same direction. The wife isn't looking at the husband as such. They're both looking at Christ. And in doing that, the wife shows respect to her husband, whom Christ has given the leadership role to. And it's, again, such a shame our society has twisted this image and has painted the idea that a wife should love their husband. That a wife should love their children if they have any. Uh, that a wife should be obedient to their own husband. They've painted like that is an evil thing. That that's a disgusting thing. That that's something to be despised. When actually that is a beautiful thing. That is a wonderful thing when it exists in a godly Home. When you have a husband who fears God and who loves his wife as Christ loved the church and you have a wife who honours and respects her husband as the church is to respect Christ. When that happens, you have a secure, safe family unit and God can do wonderful things through that. Sadly, instead of that, uh, you have people, mothers, wives, who despise homemaking. And they do other things. And as a result, the home becomes broken. And they wonder why children don't grow up as they should. Why the children rebel when they get older. Because they haven't had that foundation, that safe, secure upbringing to start off with. You get husbands and fathers who refuse to lead. Instead of being that steady hand on the tiller they go awol Uh, they go off to the pub they play computer games Uh, they do their own thing they stop looking to christ and they follow their own selfish inclination and the ship veers off course and it gets lost and shipwrecked or you get wives and mothers who again do not feed the family they do not love their husband they do not love their children they do not build their home they go off and do their own thing And the ship becomes leaky and it sinks because they haven't accomplished their role either. And the same thing can happen in the church as well. Uh, Men can renounce control. Uh, Men can just leave it up to the women to do it all. Uh, Let the women do their thing. And it's it's just a reality of life, isn't it, in our country that predominantly the people who fill our churches are women. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, I'm not sure of all the sociological reasons why that might be so, but it's the fact that so many men simply let the women do all that and they step back and do nothing, which is in exact contradiction to what Paul teaches. Uh, but likewise, you can get women who refuse to feed into the life of the church. They might seek the higher roles, the roles of authority, but they're not willing to do the humble things, the things which don't have recognition, the things which don't have the same popularity. And so it never gets done at all. So you see how there is wisdom in what Paul is teaching. And we mustn't let our society discolour what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that men should be, tyrants in the home and women must do whatever they say Uh, no men should love their wives they should guide their families they should provide a secure upbringing for their children and for their wife um, a secure life for their families and that allows women to flourish in the home If you read the book of Psalms, I I should have written it down, but I didn't. There's a wonderful psalm which describes a family where the husband is fulfilling his role and the wife flourishes like a vine and his children are like, um, I forget the the language it uses, but like sprouts on the vine. And that's what home should be like, this wonderful, flourishing, fertile vine tree. And that's the picture Paul is creating of the church as well. That's what happens when we take seriously our roles. But in closing, uh, you might be wondering, uh, that's all very well for people who are in families. Uh, but what about young women who are not wives? Uh, what about women who are no longer wives? Uh, what about men who are not husbands or fathers, or men who are not leaders in their church? Does Paul have nothing to say to them? Well, first of all, it's important to say that if you're in that position, you don't know that you're going to be in that situation forever. You don't know what the future holds. And so the best time to learn how to be a good mother is before you become one. How to become a good leader is before you become one. Uh, You don't just learn it. Obviously, you learn it in a deeper way as it happens. But you should have preparation beforehand. So we all should be learning to become better leaders and better um, mothers and wives in that sense. But also, Paul teaches that there is a role for singles in the family of the church. Uh, The church itself... Is a family. So you may not have your own family, but you can feed into the life of the church. Older women in the church are like mothers in the church, even if they may not have children of their own. Uh, Young men or older men in the church are like fathers, even if they do not have children of their own. Uh, Let me read what Jesus himself said and we'll close with this. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. The many who are first will be last and the last first. Did you catch what Jesus said there? Jesus said that if someone, for the sake of the gospel, has to leave their family, uh, they have to uh, leave their parents and go to another country or whatever, they will gain for themselves other sisters, other mothers, other children, other lands. And what Jesus is speaking of is the family of the church. Uh, the church itself is a wonderful family family. In some other parts of the world, perhaps Muslim countries, children can be disowned if they own Christ and they turn away from the religion of their parents. Many Muslim uh, ex-Muslim believers have been disowned by their parents. And you think, well, where they, where's their family now? Were well, they given a family in the church. And so if you, this morning, this evening, should I say, uh, don't have a family of your own, Well, you still have an opportunity to feed into the life of the church, to be a sister in the church, to be a brother in the church, to be a mother in the church, to be a father in the church. And these instructions that Paul gives apply to you uh, to teach, to help the younger men, the younger women, to look up to the older men and the older women, that we might become more of the people that God wants us to be. If we're a man, leaders who are able to lead the church and lead the family well. And if we're women, to be nurturers and the heartbeat which can drive the church forward. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen as our last hymn number 607. Number 607, which is a prayer which we can all sing in light of this 607 may the mind of christ my savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all i do and say particularly verse five may i run the race before me strong and brave to face the foe looking only unto jesus as i onward go so let's stand to sing number 607